this isn't what Mitch asked me up here for, but during worship here, God was speaking to me, and he gave me a word that I want to share. <laughs> um, this is, I know you all know this, but this is one mighty man of God. God puts you here to lead this house at all times, through all things. There's some shaking coming. There's going to be some sifting. He was showing me during worship a tree where that initial cut's been made and there's a wedge that's starting to be driven in. That wedge is from the enemy. And I don't know exactly how it applies to this house. But God wants everybody here to know that He is in control no matter what happens. This is one church, one body, one people gathered together for His glory. And Mitch has been called to lead it. The leaders have been placed here for this purpose, for this reason to lead God's people here. If something comes up and you start to feel a fence building up in you, examine your heart. God doesn't want us to take offense to anything. He wants us to love. So if you feel a fence coming up in your heart, check it. And say, what is that from? Because it's not from God. Trust that this man will lead this body through the wisdom and knowledge that the Holy Spirit is speaking through him. Okay, now I can focus on what he asked me. <laughs> um, I have never, ever felt a call to go on a missions trip. Uh, it's been one of the furthest things from my mind. But this last September, God met with me and told me that he wanted me to go to Ghana, Africa. And our church, we go to Life Church over in Salem. If you're ever over in Salem and want a place to visit, come see us. It's a happening church. There's a lot going on there. We'd love to have you visit. Our church has uh, churches that it supports in Ghana and have made connections with pastors and, and friends there. And so I, I talked to, to our pastor, and he invited me to go on a trip this, uh, this February. And we had it all lined out, had our itinerary set, our schedule set, communicated with the church leaders over in Ghana. And we were going to go over there and do a seminar uh, teaching some of the church leaders there on how to take the church outside the walls. And uh, wouldn't you know it, God's plan was different. Um, our itinerary, our schedule got thrown out the window. Uh, the church leaders we were supposed to meet with had, uh, there was a miscommunication. They had something else that they were doing, so they couldn't meet with us. So we were basically on our own over there. It was a group of three of us that went, and we convinced our driver over there to uh, join our team and go with us and interpret for us. So we went into the central region in Ghana, and we just drove into one of the little villages there, 
and got out of the pickup and started walking through the town. We were just looking for anybody to pray with. And Pastor Don had been there the previous year, and he remembered seeing a spot down on the beach, and he felt that God was leading us to that spot. So we walked clear through the town. It was probably a half mile or so down through the, the little village there. Got down to the beach, and when we get down there, there's a crowd of probably 75 people standing there on the beach, just standing there. <laughs> Asked our driver, what are these people doing here? Well, it's a fishing village. All the men in the village are out in the fishing boats, and this is the women and older men that are waiting for the villagers to come back with their catch for the day. Of course, we thought God had provided a crowd for us. Yeah. <laughs> so we just walked up, and uh, there was a group of three young ladies standing at the edge of the group, and our driver said, walked over to them and said, Hey, these people here are from America. They came to uh, reveal God's power here and to, to pray with you. If there's anything you need prayer for, let us know. We want to pray with you. And one of the girls there said, Well, yeah, I've, I've got a bad ankle. I've, I've heard it somehow. I don't remember what she said. But you could see it was swelled up, and she was walking with a limp, pretty severe limp. She said, yeah, I'd like prayer for this. So, okay, so uh, we just started, we asked her what her pain level was. We just rated on a scale of 1 to 10, and she said it was like a 9 or 10. So she'd been suffering with it for several months. So we started praying with her and um, got done praying with her and said, well, try it out, see if it's any better. So she walked through the sand a little ways and still a little bit limp, looked to be better, turned around, came back, and asked her to rate her pain level again. She said, well, it's about a five now. And, Great, that's good, but that's not enough. So we want to pray some more. So we laid hands on her again and started praying, and this time I had my hand down near the ankle, and I could feel the swelling start to reduce. We prayed again, asked her to try it again, she walked without a limp, down a little ways, turned around, walked back, turned around, ran down the beach, turned around and ran back, <laughs> and the crowd erupted. I mean, we were just overwhelmed with these people that were literally pushing and shoving their way, trying to get to the front of the line for prayer. It was 100 plus degrees, 100% humidity, and we spent three hours on that beach praying with people. We saw miraculous healings. We saw um, people that didn't know Jesus give their lives to the Lord. Uh, we saw people slain in the Spirit. People received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's a strong Muslim presence in that village. We had several Muslims that accepted Jesus as their Savior. We finished up on the beach there. We were all pretty tired, so we started walking back towards the truck, and in the village there, uh, one of the little boys grabbed and said, my grandfather needs prayer. Said, okay, so we followed him through the village to his grandfather's house and uh, got in there and our uh, driver asked him, you know, what's the issue? Well, he's blind. So pastor put his hands over the man's eyes and we laid hands on him and anointed him with oil and started praying with him. And uh, Pastor Don pulled his hand away, and the man kind of looked <laughs> startled. 
and uh, said something to our driver. Our driver started laughing, and Don says, what did he say? He says, he didn't know you were a white man. <laughs> so he received his vision. Um, you know, through the trip, we saw probably five or six people that had were either completely blind or diminished sight, saw their sight greatly improve, or where they could actually see again. Um, what was the other one you wanted? No, roadblock. Oh, road <laughs> we uh, were going from, from where we were staying to another village. And a lot of times between the, the larger cities, there's so much crime in the area that the police will have roadblocks up, and they'll just stop and check people, search rigs, whatever. So we had an F-250 pick, four-door pickup that we were uh, riding in. And we pull up to this roadblock, and it's custom there that if the police are all busy with other drivers, it's custom to just go around the roadblock. So we pulled up, and there was a van stop there, and there was a police officer talking to the driver of the van. So our driver just pulled around and started to go around a roadblock. He didn't slow down a lot. Well, there was another police officer sitting there that he didn't see. And so that officer jumped up and came running over, yelling and screaming at us. So our driver stopped, and the police officer came up and started talking to him. And, of course, the police officer wasn't happy he was going around a roadblock and started to to rip into him a little bit. And our driver, rather than acquiescing and just giving him his license and being cooperative, he started flipping it back to him and telling him, you know, hey, you, know, you were busy with somebody else. You got no reason to talk to me. I'm not giving you my license. And, and uh, my other teammates are looking at me like, oh, we're all going to jail. You know, this guy's got an AK-47. <laughs> this ain't good. Well, he got our driver out told him, I want to look in the back of this pickup because it had a hard tonneau cover on the bed. Took him out, and uh, he went around, argued with him some more, finally opened the bed of the pickup up for him to look at. The police officer came around to the passenger side, jerked open the back door, said, everybody out, I'm searching this rig. And so we started to get out. Our driver jumped in the middle of it again, said, no, you got no reason to search it. You're not searching this. We're done. Well, another police officer started walking up. Well, it just happened to be this first officer's supervisor. And he come over and he said, what's going on? So the first officer says, well, this guy went around my roadblock, didn't want to give me his driver's license, he's giving me a real hard time, I'm searching this rig. The supervisor looks at us and says, get out, he's searching. <laughs> okay, no argument, you know, we all pile out. And uh, I walked around the back of the pickup and, and walked up to the supervisor and Stuck my hand out. Hey, I'm Larry. <laughs> and he shook my hand. He said, are you a missionary? And I said, yeah, we're missionaries here. We're going up to the villages and praying with people. Oh, cool, cool. I said, I'm a police officer, uh, or a former police officer from the United States. He said, oh, you're a policeman? And I said, yeah. He said, well, what rank are you? I said, well, I'm chief of investigations. He says, you're a chief? Hey, I'm a chief too. Look at these stripes on my sleeve. That means I'm a chief too. Hey, get out of that rig. These guys are good. Let them go. Let them go. <laughs> so, we thanked him and, and uh, shook his hand to go. And as we were shaking hands, uh, he started to pull back. And I grabbed him. I pulled him in. I said, listen, we're here to pray with people. Do you need any prayer for anything? He said, yeah. 
yeah, come with me. So he took us around behind the guard shack out of sight and says, I've got heart condition and high blood pressure. And he says, I really like your prayers. So God gave us opportunity to minister to him and pray with him as well. I mean, a few short stories, but, uh, you know, just so refreshing. You know, God is alive. He's, he's there. He's here. You know, whatever it is, he wants to heal his people. He wants to minister to us. You just got to be open and receive, man. How y'all doing? Everybody good? All right. This is part 14 in our series of the return of Jesus. So we've got, when I started in January, I told you it would be July or August before we got done, and here we are. This is number 14. We've gone through all the stuff that will happen before Jesus returns, the great harvest of salvation, and the man of lawlessness and and uh, all kinds of different stuff. And then we talked about all the stuff that will happen when Jesus returns, the transformation that will happen in our bodies and the wedding supper of the Lamb and, and the judgment seat of Christ where he rewards his servants. And then we talked about the justice of Jesus and his vengeance on sin and it's the battle that will happen at the very last stand of the world against the kingdom of heaven. And so today we get to Revelation 20, and here we go. Revelation 20, verse 1 to 6. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again for the, until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who was part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So where we're at right now in the timeline of things is that Jesus has returned. We have met him in the sky. Our bodies have been transformed. He has married his bride, and we have received our well-done and good and faithful servant. And then Jesus and his army, which is us, and the angels of heaven have returned. The world has put up their last stand, led by the Antichrist, and they got completely annihilated. Yay, Jesus. Then the next thing that happens in Revelation 20 is that the angel locks up the devil. Yay, Jesus. <laughs> the devil gets locked up, and all of his people and his followers so... All that's left on earth is Jesus and his people. And we have this number, this thousand years, four times in this six verses. So the word is that you know if you've been around church at all, it's called the millennium. That word is not in the Bible, but millennium means a thousand years. So it's in there four times. This thousand year reign of Jesus that will happen after he returns. Now, I know that... The interpretations of these six verses vary wildly and widely. 
So I know that you may have been told other things by other teachers, and I'm not here to argue with anyone, but I'm just going to tell you what what I see and what, what the Scripture says. And so I realize that you may have heard other things and you may think other things. You're certainly free to believe whatever you, you want. But I'm not one that says that this is symbolic. I think it's a literal thousand years and that Jesus is actually physically on the throne in Jerusalem ruling the world, his people. So I know there's other takes on that, that, that this is symbolic of the church and all kinds of other stuff. But what I'm going to come at it from, it's the literal thousand years, it's the, the last thousand years of this age of the earth, that Jesus is actually on the throne ruling the earth, and what will that look like? So there are, regardless of the wide expanses and differences in the interpretation of the millennium and this mention of this thousand years where Jesus is king. Um, regardless of that, there is widespread agreement that the Old Testament tells us what this will look like. There are a lot of passages in Isaiah primarily, but several of the other prophets that prophesied these things that will happen when Jesus is literally physically on the earth as king of the whole world and I just wanted to show you those passages, and then we'll, we'll say some things. So Isaiah 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people will come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall come forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. How many of you know that those last few verses? You heard the old spiritual, ain't going to study war no more. Anybody know that one? Yeah, okay, this is where that comes from. So Isaiah 2 talks of this period where there is Literal, world peace, because God is ruling from Jerusalem. Next passage, also from Isaiah in verse, chapter 11. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord, this is about Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze together. Their young ones shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. So these are just two examples, and I'm about to show you several more. But you get this language throughout the Old Testament, and particularly in Isaiah, of this time period where there is complete world peace, where God is on the throne, and there is literally no fear or harm anywhere. The people who say, well, this is, this is the church age of Jesus, this isn't literally true yet. It will be, but it isn't happening now that we can play with snakes. 
that wolves are not dangerous and so on. What we're getting is this language from the prophets of the Old Testament is a place of military peace, a complete end to war. We see an agricultural paradise. We see a government of God in Jerusalem over the whole earth. And particularly in Isaiah, we see prophecies of the waste places of the earth being abundant and full of life. There are no empty dead wildernesses anymore in the earth. Everything is back to how God created it. So more from Isaiah. Here we go. Isaiah 25. In this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all his people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. He shall swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful-hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame shall leap with a deer, like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there, a road. It shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up upon it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now I know you've heard me preach several times on this chapter specifically, because God gave me Isaiah 35 as a passage for our church specifically seven years ago, that we were to build the highway of holiness. And I've talked to you about this Isaiah's imagery over and over through his book of the wilderness being flooded with water and growing up like a jungle. I have spiritually, symbolically applied that to our hearts, that the dead, lifeless, dry parts of our hearts Jesus has made alive. But I also believe that when Jesus is king, this will literally be true. There will be no dead land on the earth because God didn't create Nevada to be like Nevada or the Sahara or the Gobi. He did not create those places to be empty and lifeless. I know there's a certain beauty I have come to appreciate, the beauty of Nevada and Utah and Wyoming more as I travel through them, but but God did not create them lifeless. So, of course, yes, yes, these are all true for us now in Christ, but not fully until he comes and rules on the earth and the actual atmosphere of the entire planet is changed. So, we see these prophecies that, yes, they are ours in Christ, but by faith. And they will actually happen in real fullness and fruitfulness that the deserts will be completely changed back to life. And the passages about world peace are not hippie, mumbo-jumbo, wishful thinking. It is going to happen. Okay. Okay. Isaiah 60, I will also make your officers peace and your magistrates righteousness. Violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. 
The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God your glory. That is reflected directly in Revelation. Your sun shall no longer go down, nor shall your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Also your people shall all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. A little one shall become a thousand, and a small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. Isaiah 65, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor shall an old man who has not fulfilled his days for the child shall die 100 years old. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. Do you see God's picture of what life will be like when he governs things. It shall come to pass that before I call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. From Ezekiel 34. I will make a covenant of peace with them and will cause wild beasts to cease from the land, and they will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will cause showers to come down in their season. There shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord. They shall dwell safely, and no one shall make them afraid. I will raise up for them a garden of renown, and they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land. Thus they shall know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them, and they are my people, says the Lord God. You are my flock, the flock of my pasture. You are men, and I am your God, says the Lord God. In Micah 4, it says this, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and the peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. Micah is kind of plagiarizing Isaiah here. Because the passage is the same. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And from Zechariah 8, this is the last one. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with his staff in his hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. So all through the prophets, and there are so many others, there's uh, Psalm 96, you can read all of Isaiah 2, you can read Psalm 2. There are other passages that describe this paradise on earth that God, when God rules from Jerusalem. And that hasn't happened yet. And I interpret this 
thousand-year reign of Jesus to be the time that those prophecies are speaking of. So, what what I see in the Word and what I imagine in the Spirit is is I'm going to have Scripture for what I tell you, but this is how I picture that thousand-year reign when Jesus establishes his government. He is called the son of David. He is a king. And David was told that he would always have a son forever sit on the throne. Well, then that didn't happen, except that it is happening because it's Jesus is his literal earthly son and his spiritual son. Jesus will come and take the throne of David, his father, and he will sit on the throne in Jerusalem, and he will literally, in actual fact, govern the earth. And he says that in the parable of the talents. He's, he, in the parable of the minas, he says, I'm going to receive a kingdom, and when I receive it, I will come back. And what does he tell his faithful servants? I make you governor of ten cities in my kingdom. That's not metaphorical. Jesus will make some people, his faithful servants, governors of this nation or that nation or this city or that city or group of cities or that planet or that star system, I don't know what. But he says, I will, I will make you governor of ten cities. I make this person governor of five cities. So Revelation 1, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. But it says he's made us kings. Revelation 5 says, You have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. 2 Timothy 2 says, If we endure, we shall also reign with him. That isn't figurative. Jesus and his people live in peace and safety in paradise on the earth as we rule with him as he takes the throne of David that God has given him and he is king of the world in every real sense. When we say Jesus is king, I know it's very, very hard to imagine Way easier to remember the historical Bible stories. It is way harder to imagine what might what might it look like when it comes. I understand that that's very difficult, but Jesus is a real king, and he is ruler of the earth. And he's not here at the moment in physical fact, but he is king, and he will be, and he will reign here. So this thousand-year period, I spoke to you several months ago about this the the pattern that I see where Peter says a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. And that it's not an accident that by Bible numbers, I know some of you have other theories about the age of the earth and the numbers of the Bible, but by Bible numbers that are there, it is 4,000 years from Adam to Jesus and it is 2,000 years from Jesus to us. And that is six days. 6,000 years. Peter said a thousand years is as a day. It is not an accident that in between 2025 and 2030, 10 to 15 years from now, we will be exactly 2,000 years from the resurrection and Pentecost. We will have had two days of the new covenant. And on the third day, Jesus arrives. <laughs> on the seventh day, we rest. 
six days we live under the burden of sin and work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath. It is God's rest. If you missed that sermon from weeks ago, you can go to SoundCloud and listen to it. But this is the the thousand-year reign of Jesus is the earth's Sabbath. It is the seventh day. A thousand years is as a day. A day is as a thousand years. It's the earth's Sabbath where the earth and creation and humanity, the entire universe, gets set free from the burden of sin that we put on it. Check this out from Revelation 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the new heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. All right, check this out, how Peter says this is going to happen. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So how many more times could Peter say the earth's going to burn? It's all going to melt. It's going to be destroyed. And his main point is here, so how should you live your life now? Arrange your priorities. Don't live for anything that's going to burn. Okay? Hello. So I think if most of you have been around church at all, you know this prophecy that the earth is going to, this earth is going to end and Jesus is going to build a new one. But then we come, compare that passage where Peter says the earth is going to be destroyed and burned. Compare that with these two. Psalm 78 says the earth is established forever. And Ecclesiastes 1.4 says one generation passes away and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. So what do we do with that? Hmm. Okay, so remember in 1 Corinthians 3, we spoke on this. I talked to you about this, about the judgment day of Christ, the judgment of Christ. And when we appear before his throne, we will pass through the fire and the works of our life will go through the fire. And if we have built with wood, hay, and stubble, they'll be burned up. But the precious stones and the gold and the silver will be left. Yes? Describing our lives, our choices and our decisions and our actions, our ministries and our love as either earthly junk or eternal value. Right? That we will pass through the fire. And what is of no value will be burned up, and what is of value will be left. When Peter says that the earth will be burned up, and there will be a new heaven and a new earth, I am not a language scholar, but I am told that the word new heaven and new earth, there's different words in Greek, that, that, doesn't, that the word used there doesn't mean a new planet that didn't exist before. It means the earth will be made new again. When Revelation says there was a new heaven and new earth, apparently it is the same word. That means new in quality, not new in didn't exist before. God will shine it up. So... Let Scripture interpret Scripture. When Peter says this earth will burn, I see that as the Holy Spirit baptism of the earth. The earth has already been water baptized in the flood. And God is going to baptize the earth in fire. And the works of humanity, just 
as a collection will face the same fire that our own individual lives will face and the wood, hay, and stubble, all that we have done collectively and individually that is worthless will be going away and all that is of eternal value will stay. During this thousand-year period, when Jesus is reigning on the earth, and Peter says he will put fire to the earth, and Jesus says, I've come to set fire to the earth. I see that as the Holy Spirit baptism of the earth, the trial by fire, that will burn off everything that the devil has done, everything that we have done that was sinful, everything that man built that was contrary to God. And during that thousand years, Jesus will reverse the curse. He will undo everything that we have done in the last 6,000 years. But Jesus being Jesus, he doesn't just show up and snap his finger and like the fairy godmother on Cinderella, whoop, 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 it all just appears. Jesus is going to have us do it. He has put his spirit in us so that we do his works. He says, I'm the king, but you're the governors. I'm the king of kings. You are the kings that I'm king of. Come on. And he's going to put us in charge on thrones. Revelation says, I just read it to you, and we will rule the earth as Jesus' delegated authorities, and we will reverse what we did by his spirit and power and wisdom under his leading and authority. It will take a thousand years for us to reverse what we did in 6,000 years. Do I have scripture for any of this? As a matter of fact, I do. (laughs) Check this out. Galatians 3 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Revelation 22 says there is no more curse on the new earth. So somehow we get from where we're at now to where there's no curse at all. We in Christ now are free from the curse. But all of creation will be free from the curse. Check this out from Romans. Romans 8. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Specifically, Paul is writing about the future. Hello? He's not talking about right now, even in Christ. Everything he says is now we suffer, but there's glory coming, which will be revealed. What is that glory? Check this out. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the, some would say, well, the sons of God have already been revealed in Christ. No, Paul is talking about after Jesus returns and the sons of God are manifest in his glory. It's not talking about the church age. For the creation was subjected to futility. I've taught you on that before, but this is the creation was made stupid by our sin. Nothing in physical realm, from the laws of physics to plants and animals to our relationships, nothing is the way God made it because of our sin. We have ruined the whole thing. It was subjected to futility. I mean, animals are stupider than they were when God made them. He didn't make skunks to stink and spiders to bite. Obviously, he didn't make cobras to bite. He says, when I'm in charge, they, won't, they will be harmless. 
The creation is subjected to futility. All of our laws of physics and chemistry, plants and animals and the universe, it's all not the way God created it to be. God did not create the other planets lifeless. If you know enough about science to know the atmosphere of Jupiter and Saturn and Venus, it is the description of hell. Sulfuric acid that would melt your skin off if you went there. There's a reason why that's that way, that the devil is the prince of the power of the air and the second heaven is his realm. God did not make those planets lifeless. They will have life. They will be inhabited. All of creation will be free from the curse when the sons of God are made manifest. Because right now, it is subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. That word is rotting and death. Last year, I had a sermon, Everything Rots. Second law of thermodynamics, everything falls apart. Everything moves toward chaos, only in a sinful world. When Jesus is king, he will literally reverse the laws of physics. And things will not move from order to chaos. Things will move from chaos to order. Oh, yeah. It will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Come on, the earth, the animals, the plants... The planets, the stars are waiting for us to be redeemed because they are going to be saved with us. We know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption. I, I, really, don't, I really don't mean to insult any other teacher's it's Paul, Paul in Christ, in the church ages, right? It says, we are waiting for our adoption. John says, in 3 John, we don't even know yet what salvation is. It says, we are waiting to see. This is it. What we have now is the first fruits of the Spirit. It's just the down payment, folks. If it doesn't get any better than this, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're talking about when everything is perfect, all right? When we are adopted into the kingdom, the creation is, and we have, now we have the first fruits, but we also are groaning within ourselves. We know there's more. We know there's more. Why don't the blind see every day? Come on. Why does anybody die? It's not right. We know death is a ripoff, and cancer is from hell. We're eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our body, but we, for we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We do have a hope. And this is it, that Jesus is returning. And that everything, everything in the entire Bible is actually true, and it will actually happen. And that even the world we live in, that we know, that we know, that we know, is not right. He's going to make it right. Isaiah 61, Jesus' message, mission statement, passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to set free the, uh, bind up the brokenhearted and set the prisoner free. It continues with this. And they shall rebuild the old ruins. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. 
Of course, now by faith and spiritually, that is true in your heart, in your family. God can restore what was decimated in your body, in your heart, in your family. But it's literally, truly, physically going to happen in the earth. That Jesus is going to come and rebuild the waste places. And what was destroyed in war and pollution and destruction of whatever kind. What I see in this Sabbath of the earth, in this restoration, is that Jesus in a thousand years takes us back to the way God created it in the Garden of Eden. And every single deed that has been done against God will be undone. Every molecule of pollution will be removed from the water and the land. Every drop of blood will be pulled out of the ground that we spilled in war or murder. So yes, 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 this is your life too. Everything, when we meet Jesus by faith in salvation now, he does that. But there's a completeness when we meet him on the other side of that curtain of death, but the creation has to be healed too. So he will reverse the law of physics, gravity and friction and aging and deterioration and wear and the animals and plants that are subjected to futility and some of them even have become evil, like rattlesnakes or sharks or spiders, whatever you're afraid of. (laughs) Everything will work right. Everything will be perfectly pure. Everything will be much more highly intelligent. And humanity will become what we were originally created to be, clothed in the glory of God, the identical image of God. In intelligence and understanding and relationships and power and love. And Isaiah 25 says this He will destroy on this mountain, meaning Mount Zion, his church, the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Jesus said, and the New Testament says in different ways, the last enemy to be defeated is death. Isaiah 25 says, calls death a veil or a curtain, a covering over the entire planet. And it says, God, Jesus, will remove the veil from the face of the earth. Right now, there is a barrier between our physical world and the kingdom of heaven or the spiritual world as you may think of it. That barrier is death. That's what we have to cross through to connect with what's on the other side. That, that barrier, that veil is death. So now, in this time period, we have to actually die to go to the spiritual realm Isaiah 25 says that veil will be completely lifted and the spiritual world and the physical world will be one. Which is next week where heaven actually comes down to earth as a bride prepared for her bridegroom. 
when the new Jerusalem comes down to earth and the the physical and the spiritual are one. But this veil that Isaiah says is death, that Jesus will pull off of us and we will no longer live behind the curtain of death. Jesus lifts up his veil, this veil that covers us, and in Revelation, the next chapter is the, the bride comes from heaven. The veil is, is the bridal veil. That it's, it's our face that gets uncovered. As God removes death from before our face, we will see him face to face and eye to eye. And we will be truly one. There will be no separation between heaven and earth what I see is that there's this thousand-year period where under Jesus' authority and power and supervision, we, his kings, his governors of ten cities, will restore creation and undo what we have done. I mean we, meaning humanity. The people of God, just like God had to become a man to bring salvation, he couldn't just snap his fingers and do it. He won't just snap his fingers and do it the last time either. He will teach us. He will empower us. He will instruct us. He will govern us. And we will do it. In this thousand-year period where Jesus rules, we will undo the effects of sin and death and the earth and humanity and creation will have its Sabbath, will have its rest. The good news for us now, I don't want this to only be some imaginary thing that's coming later. The good news for us now is Jesus already ran through that veil. There's a hole in it. I said there's a hole in it. It's still there because you can't get to heaven unless you die. It's still there. The veil is still there, but there's a hole in it. So, yes, it's true that the veil is there, and yes, it's true that Jesus ultimately someday in the millennium, long time from now, or whatever you imagine, I don't think it's going to be all that long, but yeah, yeah, it's all coming, but the truth is that Jesus ripped that thing in half 2,000 years ago, and so by faith, absolutely, yes, we are free from the curse now, and blind eyes can be opened, and swollen ankles can be healed, and there is financial provision and healing, and even supernatural productivity in your part of the earth because we have been redeemed from the curse of the law. That curse of Deuteronomy 26 to 28 where this is what will happen if you disobey. We all did that and that's what we deserve but Jesus redeemed us from that curse. And yes, our bodies will die but we are not under the laws of death anymore. But it is by faith. And what is faith? It is crossing through that veil that we call fear or death, primarily death to self, death to pride, where we come out on the other side in the kingdom of heaven. There's still a death we have to die every time we're afraid or every time we don't want to do something or every time we're too proud to humble ourselves to obey. We still have to cross that veil of death, but there is a hole in it, and there is a man who's been through it and knows what's on the other side and came back and said, hey, it's safe, follow me. 
Hey, it's safe. Follow me. But Jesus, no, that's a big, like, black, foggy wall veil thing. We don't want to go through that. He's like, no, I got a little hole right here. Look through that. (laughs) Jesus, crack crack your Bible and see the light come out (laughs) on the other side. So, yes, yes, Jesus is coming. This is literally true. And he will literally, physically restore the earth and all of creation. And there will be... Complete peace, there will be complete productivity in life and paradise. But now, in Christ, there's a hole in the curtain. And you can go through anytime you want. And you can ask Him to come through for you, and He will. There's a hole in the curtain. And we are now redeemed from the curse of the law. Salvation is yours. Provision is yours. Healing is yours. Peace is yours. Productivity and success are yours. Now, in Christ. We live that out in faith until he shows back up for his girl. And together, we take it to the whole world. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your promises of beauty and peace and truth. Of glory that is coming as you establish your government in Jerusalem, on the earth, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords in all the world. Thank you for the Sabbath rest that is coming. The weight of sin will be released. The veil of death will be uncovered. That You will uncover our face and look us eye to eye. You will kiss your bride. Lord, thank you also that now the curtain is already ripped that the barrier between us and God is already torn, that there is a hole in the veil that you went through. You pierced death for us, and we know there is glory on the other side and not fear. Thank you for opening the way through the veil that covers the whole planet. You pierced it, and you showed us that there's glory on the other side. We have nothing to be afraid of, and we have everything to gain. Thank you for all that you paid for on the cross, for your salvation, for your healing, for your mercy, for your wisdom and truth, for your freedom from sin habits, for your restoration in our hearts and our bodies and our families and our finances and all that you bought us with, with your blood. Thank you for the first fruits of the Spirit, for the down payment of our salvation that you have already given us. We love you so much and we are eternally thankful. And Lord, we hope with all of our hope in these promises and believe that it's true, even when we don't know how to imagine it. We believe that it's true, that you will do it. You will perform your word. We look forward to it. We want you on the throne, not just of our hearts, but of all of creation. We want to see your reign. In the name of Jesus, exalted above every other name. We want to see the devil locked up and you in charge. Amen. Amen.